let's get it going for a brand new weekend, a brand new round of stories for you here and information that you need as we move through this week in agriculture. It's called Midday on the Rural Radio Network. We always say, see you in the weeds, I guess, and uh, today that's exactly where we find Susan Littlefield. Hey, coming up at 1219, you know, we've all been concerned that spring planting has been delayed in so many areas. Unfortunately, the weeds don't care, and yeah. they are growing in those fields. So we'll kind of dive into it with a, with a weed expert from Syngenta coming up at 1219. Then at 1245, Bryce talks about a new gene editing technology that's out there. It actually could increase the protein levels in the sorghum grain. So we'll talk more about that at 1245. And then wrapping it all up at 117, it has been definitely, as we know, weird weather. What does this mean for your cattle's health, and especially those calves, as they move through the growing process? So yeah. some things happening from us. And we heard a, a couple of uh, reports out there that uh, there are some uh, insurance adjustments going on already down in southern Kansas. It is absolutely crazy, and I think it's just going to continue to pick mm-hmm. up as time goes on. But the good news is soil temperatures are warming up, so we should see planters running pretty darn soon. It would be nice to see them by the end of the week. That's the prediction. I, I don't know what the line on that is in Las Vegas. You get the possibility of winning some money on that bet. Uh, people bet on everything else. so <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Why not when, they, exactly. when the planters roll? Okay, Susan, thanks very much. Here we go with no uh, problem. Jason over here on the sports desk. Well, Tech is spring football action. Both Nebraska and Kansas State held their spring games over the weekend. We'll have a reaction for you from the head coaches. Also, unfortunately, the uh, struggles just continue for the Husker baseball team. They just cannot get it rolling uh, this particular year. They lost their series with Rutgers, losing yesterday 8-4. to The Huskers are scheduled to be back in action tomorrow night with a game against Creighton. I would have to think at this point that one might be... 50-50 yeah, yeah. due to the forecast uh, tomorrow night. Now, this weekend, the Huskers are in non-conference action as they will host Nevada. Uh, the weather for those games looks a whole lot better, but we'll keep you posted <laughs> on tomorrow night. Also, as someone who's collected thousands and thousands of football cards and baseball cards over the years, if you missed it last week, that Mickey Mantle card, which I don't have any of those, unfortunately, uh, $2.8 million. Holy for, smack. For really? a piece of cardboard. Second highest second highest ever. Of course, that Honus Wagner card went for about uh, $3.1 million a while yeah. back. So is there only one of those? There's, there's not very not many. many. Now, there are some Mickey Mantles around, but this one was special because it was rated 9 out of 10. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Here, let's uh, pick up some business news with Bob Brogan. Stocks edging higher today. Bond yields climb. Uh, Also tucked into that report, Sears rose 2.7% after the company's largest shareholder urged the struggling retailer retailer to sell its Kenmore brand. Also, existing home sales up in March. And, of course, uh, some people say as homes go, so goes the economy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Harley-Davidson is offering free motorcycles for anyone at least 18 who joins its summer internship program. That should be popular. Wow, I would think so. All this and more on today's Midday. Paul Perkins joins us now with a look at ag weather, and it is presented by Kuhlman Repair. Nice day today, but we're going to see uh, the need for another slicker out of the closet by tomorrow. Yes, uh, more rain chances on the way, some likely rain chances on the way with the system starting to move in from the west. 
All right. Well, let's uh, see if we can get that to some places where they really need it. I was just looking at a map here on the national scale, and they've actually upped the terminology. I don't know if this is new, but it's new to me that they've gone in some areas from what's called extreme drought to exceptional drought. And boy, those places could really use some. Yeah, it's been exceptional drought there. That exceptional drought area continues to uh, grow in coverage and size so over southwestern areas of Kansas on into Texas and Oklahoma. But, uh, yeah, that's the highest stage of drought, exceptional drought, yeah. beyond extreme drought. So, Boy, yeah. Is there any relief for those folks? On Unfortunately, no. And this weekend, not too much in the way of relief uh, arrived with some uh, rains over the weekend. But right now, we're enjoying some very nice temperatures. Most of us in the upper 50s to low 60s. Those low 60s in much of central and eastern areas, the upper 50s over southwestern areas. We are as warm as some upper 60s to around 70 over eastern Nebraska into northeast Kansas. As the Pacific cold front gets closer, temperatures today slightly warmer than usual with an increase in cloud cover. Chances for rain with a few thunderstorms in west and central Nebraska start to increase tonight. On into northwest Kansas, so west and west central Nebraska into northwest Kansas tonight. Probably a little bit later on starting to see some rain chances as that area of low pressure and a Pacific front start to track to the east. Rain chances remain likely tomorrow and in central and east areas tomorrow night. Rain totals of about a quarter to a half inch are likely. It may get cool enough tomorrow night for a rain-snow mix in north and west areas of Nebraska, but right now it's looking very doubtful, and if we do see anything, it's not going to accumulate to anything. Temperatures will be cooler with some gusty northwest winds in behind this front that's moving through tomorrow, but it's a Pacific front, not an Arctic front, so not a big drop in temperatures expected. Some rain may linger in the south and east areas for Wednesday before our sky is clear with the ridge of high pressure pushing in from the west. A quick shot of rain possible on Thursday with a fast-moving cold front. Rain chances a little more uncertain with another weak system on Saturday. Some forecast models think it will rain. Another forecast model not saying there's any rain chance in the forecast for Saturday, so those rain chances very uncertain for then. Temperatures as we close out the week into the weekend look to be Mostly warmer than normal. That's going to be a big switch from the last couple of weekends where we had the wet conditions this last weekend. And of course, the blizzard just uh, last weekend before. In our long-term forecast, the likelihood of temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the west and central U.S. warmer than normal this weekend through the first six days of May. Central Nebraska daytime highs in that time, usually in the upper 60s with overnight lows averaging in the low 40s. Headed for some very nice weather by the end of the week into the first part of May. The long-term predicting near-normal precipitation for Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through May 6th, so overall should be cooperative for getting into the fields. After a mild day yesterday, those soil temperatures beginning to warm up. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the upper 30s along and west of a line from O'Neill to Broken Bow and Imperial. Most other locations in Nebraska and extreme western Kansas with soil temperatures in the low 40s from the Tri-Cities into a large part of central and east Kansas. So soil temperatures in the upper 40s to around 50. And those look to warm even more after today's weather. Weather factors affecting the markets include improving conditions for Midwest field work and very little drought relief from the weekend rain in the southern plains. In the Midwest, milder and more seasonal temperatures expected this next week to 10 days. That will improve the prospects for spring field work there. The warmest temperatures... In the western Midwest, after a record cold start to the first half of this month, 
Wheat areas of the southern plains generally received very little beneficial rain this past weekend, and only light rain is expected this next week. Lower wheat production is likely as drought stress continues. In the northern plains, much of the spring wheat not planted just yet, and improvement in conditions will help the next seven days. For the delta, there will be some planting delays from wet weather, but drier periods in between the rain will keep planting at seasonal levels. Crop development may be slowed some from cooler weather. And in south-central areas of Brazil, that may need to be watched for consistent dryness the next 30 days for the second crop corn. All right. Your ag weather with Paul brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. I'll tell you what, you know, it's it's been a long time trying to hold back those horses, but they're not ready to hitch them up and get those planters rolling. You already started seeing signs of that late next or late last week. I, I know on Friday I was seeing quite a few people starting to get into the field, but yeah. probably later this week after the rain that moves through, uh, the next 24 hours probably going to be going full steam ahead. So after just a few more days here, we'll be able to say, well, not say, hold your horses anymore. <laughs> exactly. And your ag weather, of course, is heard on midday every Monday through Friday when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. April has not been a friend to many cattlemen. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday look at your ag news. Drastic temperature swings and rain-snow events have definitely stressed immune systems. Clay Patton brings us more on why this year is changing the rules for calf vaccinations. Typically, from birth to branding, a calf derives many of its antibodies from its mother's milk. Dr. Cameron Hall of the Republican Valley Animal Center says this year is different, though, and those antibodies aren't quite enough. Dr. Hall is seeing an increase in respiratory diseases similar to that of weaned calves in the fall. With changing circumstances, Dr. Hall is changing his recommendation on vaccination protocol. This year, we have calves that are getting sick, you know, when they're only three or four weeks old, so it's too soon to give them their subcutaneous vaccines like we normally would at branding time. Uh, and one thing we've been doing to try to overcome that is using intranasal vaccines those target a little bit different part of the calf's immune system and they're somewhat spared from those maternal antibodies. And then those calves will still need to be worked again at six to eight weeks of age at kind of the normal branding time with their injectable vaccines. Dr. Hall also recommends checking calves early and often. The quicker an illness can be identified and treated, the greater odds for survival. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. Speaking of cattle, cattle and calves on feed for the slaughter market in the United States for feedlots with capacity of 1,000 or more head totaled 11.7 million head. On April 1st, 2018, USDA reported on Friday the inventory was 7% above the April 1, 2017. This is the second highest April 1st inventory since the series began in 1996. The inventory included 7.54 million steers and steer calves, up 4% from the previous year. This group accounted for 64% of the total inventory. Heifers and heifer calves accounted for 4.19 million head, up 14% from 2017. Placements in feedlots during March totaled 1.92 million head, 9% below 2017. Net placements were 1.85 million head. During March, placements of cattle and calves weighing less than 600 pounds were 315,000 head. 600 to 699 pounds were 285,000 head. 700 to 799 pounds were 530,000 head. 800 to 899 pounds were 531,000 head. 900 to 999 were 185,000 head. And 1,000 pounds and greater were at 75,000 head. 
and rail shippers in Canada and the U.S. could be heard breathing a sigh of relief late Friday evening after the CP announced it had come to what may just be a temporary agreement with two unions that had planned to strike April 21st. If that strike occurs, it will disrupt rail movement in and out of Canada and the western U.S. because they rely on service from the CP. The CP made the announcement late Friday evening and as such, CP's embargoes for shipments routing to and from CP Canadian locations has been canceled effective immediately. However, it does not appear that a strike is completely off the table. The Minister of Labor directed the Canadian Industrial Relations Board to administer a ratification vote on each of the company's final offers to members of the Teamsters Canada Rail Conference and the IBEU, according to CP. And here in the U.S., since the end of February, commerce on the Mississippi, Illinois, and Ohio rivers have been hampered by high water. Heavy rains and snowmelt caused massive flooding, and while there has been some relief, flood warnings have now been issued again for parts of the Ohio River at Cairo, Illinois, and Mississippi River at Vicksburg, Mississippi, and all the way to the Gulf. And that's a look at your midday ag news. For more market information, ag news, audio, and video anytime, you can always visit ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's already been a frustrating start to this year's growing season. Don't let weeds add to that. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Travis Gustafson with Syngenta talks to us about some important things we need to think about when it comes to weed control. Right. I think this year especially we're looking at a pretty compressed time frame to get planting and um, you know field prep work done and, and herbicide spraying. And I think there's going to be some compromises made. There's going to be some mistakes made out there for herbicide applications. But one of the biggest things that I don't think we should compromise on is um, using effective sites of action in our herbicide programs. Um, and, and basically what I mean by that is make sure that you've got at least two ways you're killing weeds in your field. Um, and, uh, you know, that can change from field to field as you, you know, if you got a mix or a product in your tank and it kills everything in one field that may not kill everything in the other field based on your weed species and uh, resistant biotypes out there. So uh, really these herbicide programs need to be tailored to a field-by-field um, recommendation. What's the best way for a producer, I mean, obviously the communication with their agronomist? Right. They need to be in touch with their uh, retail agronomist or if they have a crop consultant. Because uh, those people are going to know if there's resistant weeds in the in the neighborhood, and I always tell people if you, even if you don't think you have resistant weeds in your field, you've got to act like you do, or else you're going to have resistant weeds. You've got to use multiple effective uh, modes of action on your in your herbicide program, and I think uh, talking to your uh, local agronomist is going to be the best way because they will have the best uh, feel for what's out there as far as weeds go. You talked about using this overlapping residual chemistries, which is the pre- and the post-emergence herbicide. What are some thoughts in that regard, because we're in such a time crunch this year? Yeah, um, as, as far as using overlapping residuals go, we, we I have seen the best success using a two-pass program. Uh, we have a, a product called Acuron out there that um, we actually have better yields at the end of the season when we split the application pre- and post. And what we're doing with that is we're we're uh, laying down residual pre-emerge, and then we're coming in post-emerge, and uh, basically recharging that residual so we can we can make it last longer into the season. 
and that has act that has actually successfully given us a, a ten bushel on average yield increase at the end of the season versus putting it all down at once. Use these overlapping uh, residuals and uh, you know get that that uh, weed control extended into the season as far as we possibly can. Anything else you want them to be thinking about when it comes to weed resistance? I I, I love the statement that said if you don't think you have resistant weeds, you need to think you do. Yeah, that's. Um, that's the best principle to live by I think when we you know especially in Nebraska where we do have a lot of pockets of resistance out there um, act like you have resistance that will be your your best success against um, fighting resistance developing in your field but also I think especially this year um, make sure you've got a backup plan um, in case something goes wrong with you know, not being able to spray on time because I think timely spraying are going to be very difficult to do this year. Um, herbicide programs that have a wide application window uh, based on crop stage will be your best bet for success this year. My conversation with Travis Gustafson of Syngenta. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Husker baseball team continues to struggle as they were knocked off yesterday by Rutgers, losing that one eight to four. The Huskers lose that series two games to one. They're just four and nine in Big Ten action, seventeen and twenty-one overall. Now they are slated to have four non-conference games this week. Tomorrow night, weather permitting, they're scheduled to host Creighton at six thirty. Well, Scott Frost coached his first game as head coach of the Huskers on Saturday as Nebraska held its annual red-white game. The red team won that matchup 49-9, and Frost talks about some of the things he saw. I mean, it's the first step in a journey for us. I I thought we did some really good things at times. I thought there were some guys making plays. Um, It was a little sloppy at times, and and we made some mistakes. Uh, Didn't capitalize on some things. Um, First spring, uh, I think the guys have come a long way already. The real star of the day was freshman quarterback Adrian Martinez, who rushed for 60 yards and three TDs. And he says Saturday's game was kind of how the entire spring went for him. We're running the stuff we ran during the spring. I think um, obviously the opportunity for me to make plays was there. And then also, you know, I think I, I made a few mistakes. But um, you know, I would say it's similar to how I performed in the spring for sure. The Huskers had one more practice scheduled for today, and that will conclude their spring workouts. And Kansas State wrapped up the spring as the purple team held out the white 31-28 in rainy and cool conditions on Saturday. Sophomore quarterback Alex Delton had a nice day, going 21-28 of 28 for 206 yards and a couple of TDs. And Coach Bill Schneider, however, wasn't surprised that he played well. You know, nobody did anything that surprised me. I mean, I've, you know, Alex... You know, he's practiced well. He's played well in previous ball games. I, I, you know, I mean, there wasn't anything that he did that was uh, out of character. You know, from a positive or a negative point. Uh, you know, with him, I thought he played as uh, uh, played well. In all, the Kansas State offenses racked up a combined 515 yards in total offense. And a 1952 Mickey Mantle baseball card in mint condition sold for $2.88 million last week, making it the second highest price ever paid for a baseball card. The card, sold by former NFL offensive lineman Evan Mathis, was auctioned off by Heritage Auctions. It fell just short of the $3.12 million paid for a 1909 Honus Wagner card back in October of 2016. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. (laughs) 
Showers and thunderstorms are likely tonight in Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. Boy Scouts of America members and their leaders reported to Governor Pete Ricketts Monday on scouting's progress during 2017. Various leaders and Boy Scouts spoke at a news conference hosted by Governor Ricketts. Eagle Scout Hayden Price of Grand Island's Troop 119 was among the speakers. Scouting is celebrating 107, 107 years of training American youth in the ideals of citizenship. Ideals such as duty to God and country and the good turn in service to others have become a strong element in our society. What we learn today in scouting will help us meet the challenges of the future. Governor Ricketts says the values taught in scouting are invaluable. Scouting is one of those programs that really teaches fundamental values that are in line with our republic. That the characteristics that are instilled in our scouts with regard to friendliness, courteousness, thrifty, you know, reverence, obedience, trustworthy, all those characteristics are important, not just to being a good scout, but to being a good citizen. Governor Ricketts is a board member of the Mid-America Council, which covers 58 counties in Nebraska, Iowa, and South Dakota. The Nebraska State Patrol says a 90-year-old Omaha man died after his daughter backed their SUV into a pond. The crash happened shortly after 9 p.m. Saturday near Two River State Recreation Area west of Omaha. State Patrol Lieutenant Matt Sutter said 61-year-old Joni Carvith of Fresno, California, backed the vehicle out of a driveway and into the pond. Carvath's father, Dewey Anderson, had trouble getting out of the GMC Yukon. Carvath ran to a nearby home to call for help. Rescuers found Anderson floating in the water and unresponsive. He died later at a hospital. Authorities say a motorcyclist has died after fleeing from Kansas Highway Patrol troopers in Hutchinson. The patrol crash report says 28-year-old Logan Cooper sped off around 5.30 Sunday. The patrol says the Wichita man was killed when his motorcycle rear-ended a car on the east side of Hutchinson. The driver of the car wasn't seriously hurt. Omaha's mayor wants the city council to broaden her power to pardon people who violate certain city codes. Mayor Jean Stother's proposal to allow her to pardon people convicted of any city ordinance violation will go before the council for a public hearing. Stothert currently can pardon those convicted under city ordinance of misdemeanor assault and battery and damage to property. A mayoral pardon doesn't erase a conviction from an individual's criminal history, but it will show that a pardon has been granted. Our app puts regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away anytime. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Sorghum consumption continues to decline by 52% over the last 50 years. Even while wheat, corn, and soybeans importance in the global diet has grown significantly. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskip reporting. Dr. David Holding, a UNL associate professor of plant molecular genetics, says one of the reasons for the sorghum decline is the lack of protein in sorghum grain. To solve this problem, CRISPR, a new gene editing technology, is being used to enhance the nutritional value of sorghum and improve the digestibility of the proteins. We recently talked with David Holding in a segment produced in cooperation with Market Journal. Sorghum is a, is a crop that grows very well under limited um, irrigation conditions. So in, in summers where we have very hot conditions, so, sorghum is often a very good option for, for growing in dry land environments. In summers like um, 2012, 
um, Sorghum w was performing very well and w became a viable um, option com compared with corn and it just does much better under limited or no irrigation con um, conditions. Sorghum may be a great crop for hot and dry weather conditions. However, according to David, sorghum produces a lower yield when compared to corn and its grain only contains about 10% protein. Sorghum's protein is deficient in lysine, which is an essential amino acid needed for the diets of humans and monogastric livestock such as pigs and chickens. Okay, so the proteins that accumulate in, in grains such as corn and sorghum um, are deficient in lysine because they have a preponderance of the so-called uh, prolamine storage proteins. Those dominate the proteins. So if we can reduce the, uh, the amount of those proteins, then we can increase the amount of other proteins that collectively have a better amino acid balance and make that grain more nutritionally complete uh, as a food. In order to create a better amino acid balance in sorghum, David is using the strategy called CRISPR. The game-changing aspect of CRISPR with respect to crop biotechnology is that we can make those gene edits and then we can go in and remove that transgene just with a simple cross. So in the process of breeding that crop, we can cross it to whatever germplasm we want our trait to be in and in the process select against the transgene. So we have a genetically engineered, if you like, crop without a transgene. So this is, this is attractive because it, it makes the regulatory process that you have to go through with a genetically engineered crop much less stringent um, and you, so you're ending up with something that you have, you've changed a gene but is not genetically, is not, doesn't meet the definition of genetically modified. According to a statement issued on March 28th by the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, the U.S. Department of Agriculture will not regulate or plan on regulating plants that undergo gene editing techniques such as CRISPR. Therefore, plant varieties can undergo changes such as a genetic deletion of any size, single base pair substitutions, insertions from compatible plant relatives, and complete null segregants. We have been um, using CRISPR to, to target the prolamine storage proteins. And the, the way we have innovated this is that we've used it to target not just a single gene, but the whole of the, of the prolamine um, family, if you like. Um, the reason we were able to do this is because that family ha have a very similar DNA sequence and we, by choosing the most similar sequence we could target using a, a so-called consensus guide RNA, we could target that whole family for partial shutdown and this is key, this is critical. We did not want to create a sorghum line that had no prolamines. We wanted to, just to subtly reduce them so that we still have good hard seeds but we have lower levels of prolamines, increased levels of non-prolamines, which collectively have higher lysine, thereby increasing the lysine and increasing the digestibility. And so we have proof of concept of this. We have several lines which still have the transgene that causes the edits in there. We're in the, in the process of outcrossing those to get rid of that transgene. So it's bringing sorghum into the level of being a complete protein. What I mean by complete protein is that it has all of the essential amino acids present in the amount that you could, in theory, eat that grain and not need uh, another high-class protein source. Although gene editing can be used to protect crops from droughts and diseases, along with eliminating allergens, the goal of David's research is to enhance the nutritional value of sorghum 
and improve the digestibility of sorghum proteins through gene editing. My take on this is this is not making sorghum um, a better crop in terms of its heat and resilience and, and water and nitrogen use efficiency. Sorghum already has that, okay? We're, what we need is ways to make sorghum more attractive in the end product. So one of the things about, about sorghum is uh, um, this, is a, this is an alternative grain to wheat and uh, we, everybody has heard of uh, increasing prevalence or at least awareness of gluten intolerance, be it celiac uh, disease or celiac independent gluten intolerance. So the more sources of, non, of, of, grain, of whole grain that we have that do not have glutens, um, the better we are. And, and so there's a, there are a number of opportunities for increasing the use of sorghum for human food. That was Dr. David Holding, a UNL Associate Professor of Plant Molecular Genetics. I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. Now let's get a review of the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Well, we started out the week uh, in the cattle with uh, some pretty good news. Uh, the uh, cattle on feed report was termed as negative, maybe slightly friendly, but the fact that the cash was trading uh, up as high as 124 on uh, Friday, uh, that uh, really uh, put a burr in the uh, saddle, and uh, away we went with the uh, cattle. So we had triple-digit gains the first three months, and uh, the first, uh, well, all the uh, feeders through uh, November uh, sharply higher with triple-digit gains. So good response. Cutouts were higher at uh, noon, too, which didn't uh, uh, deter much from the uh, uh, the uh, upward momentum already. Over the hogs, not the same. Uh, triple-digit losses first three uh, months, and uh, the rest all finishing lower to boot. Uh, cash uh, was about steady which is really a disappointment when you look at the premiums that the uh, the hog futures are carrying. Index is coming up relatively fast. Uh, it's making triple-digit gains, but uh, we are so premium, and we're almost to the month of May, and uh, May continues to be a, a big premium there. So that puts some pressure on the hogs. So uh, really a mixed day uh, in livestock today. Cattle sharply higher, hogs sharply lower. You can reach Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. Well, many say March comes in like a lamb and out like a lion. It is April that has had a similar effect this year. Cold, wet weather has preceded much of April and many of the weekends, seeing drastic temperature swings from the beginning of a week to an ending of a week, and it can all have an effect on livestock, especially cattle health. We dive into this deeper here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to discuss this is Republican Valley Animal Center veterinarian Dr. Cameron Hall. And Dr. Hall, we thank you for joining us. Let's start off by just talking about what you're seeing out here with these wild weather conditions we've had, seeing below normal temperatures. How is cattle health currently holding up right now, especially on the calf side of things? Yes, Clay, we've definitely seen an uptick in the respiratory disease, particularly in, in very young calves. So we're kind of right in the middle of calving season right now, and we don't normally have a lot of respiratory issues in calves that are less than a month old, but that's been something this spring that has been uh, 
we've seen quite a bit more of than we typically do. And overall, what is a good plan of action for producers? Do they need to be watching for things they don't typically watch for, or what's the best plan of action? Sure. So any any sign of respiratory disease in these young calves, and that's going to mirror similar things that they would see in the fall, you know, after weaning time. Um, extended head and neck, open mouth breathing, labored breathing, nasal discharge. Those are kind of the classic respiratory symptoms, and they'll look very similar in these young calves as what producers are used to seeing in the fall. Um, and it's really important to get on that quickly because in, in these little guys that they don't have a lot of reserves um, and, and they you don't have quite as much time to get on them. So early detection is key um, and, and really making sure that they're in there checking those calves on a really regular basis. With the change in circumstances where we're seeing an increase or an uptick in the respiratory issues that we might typically see at weaning in these younger calves, Dr. Hall, is this changing how you might recommend vaccinations or anything like that? Sure. So typically, uh, you know, a standard vaccination program for young calves would be when they were six to eight weeks old, they're gathered up and, and uh, you know, just your typical branding time vaccines, uh, modified live uh, respiratory, seven ways that they haven't had it, pink eye, depending on the particular producer. But um, we, we don't ever do that until they're six or eight weeks old because we need to give that calf uh, immune system some time to develop on its own and uh, get out of out of the influence of the antibodies from the cow. So this year we have calves that are getting sick, you know, when they're only three or four weeks old. So it's too soon to give them their subcutaneous vaccines like we normally would at branding time. Uh, and one thing we've been doing to try to overcome that is using internasal vaccines. Those target a little bit different part of the calf's immune system, and they're somewhat spared from those maternal antibodies. So we can go in there with, with calves that are at a young age, you know, two, three, four weeks old, use the internasal vaccine to try to get us through the, you know, whatever disease challenge they're facing from a respiratory standpoint. Um, and then those calves will still need to be worked again at six to eight weeks of age at kind of the normal branding time with their injectable vaccines. So it's a little bit more work for the producers because you're talking about an extra trip uh, through the cradle or, or gathering up those calves and, and doing the internasal vaccine earlier, but um, that's been a pretty successful intervention that we've been able to do to try to overcome this, this respiratory challenge that we're seeing. Again, we've been visiting with Dr. Cameron Hall, veterinarian at Republican Valley Animal Center. One final note that Dr. Hall also recommends is having a close working relationship with your local veterinarian. When you want the latest in ag news and information, keep it right here on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. In the grain markets today, we had a pretty narrow trading range in corn. Nevertheless, it finished higher, soybeans lower. Wheat was mixed, but mostly lower, especially Minneapolis wheat. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So did corn stand on its own today? Yeah, corn looks pretty good here. Um, 404, I, I thought maybe given the market's being very heavily down in oats and uh, you know winter wheat here in Chicago, along with the bean markets, I thought corn doing a, doing a good job there, trading green into the close and really fighting off any of the breaks. Uh, Brazil is a story, and that's something that you have to monitor if you're looking to buy corn. That's that's your reason right now. Brazil has gone through the month of April, which is a pretty good, important month for the second crop corn with only two inches of rain. They're now staring down two weeks at 90, 95, maybe even close to 100 out, 100 uh, degree temperatures with no rain in the forecast. So. Um, 
my opinion, the next Wazi report, you know, the, the private analysts could start to get up into corn as far as global stock reductions again. Um, I don't think the acreage, the planting story here in the U.S. is anything you should worry about or even trade around. They're gonna, you guys are gonna plant. Farmers out there, that's what you do. You got the technology to do it. Even if they don't get in this week, I, I still don't think it's a, a worry that we're gonna get corn planted by the 15th. But this Brazil story is something I think you gotta keep in mind. How about the lack of export news as far as sales are concerned? We've gone a whole number of sessions now. Did that hurt soybeans today? Yeah, beans are really, uh, you know, lacking front-month demand here. You have old crop prices that have fallen um, substantially over the November. Just the Friday the 13th, so it would have been, what, seven trading sessions ago, six trading sessions ago? We were at seven over, so uh, May, May futures were seven more expensive than the... Uh, than the November. Now they're seven cheaper, and 16 is the low. I've got to imagine we'll see that uh, as we go into delivery here. And then, of course, once you get to the end of the month or in, end of the week, we'll have first notice day, and that's when everybody needs to kind of have a range with their elevators and end users about what, what's going to be transacted going into delivery. And then I think we resume possibly trading off that Brazil story in corn, like I mentioned. Hard red winter wheat futures finished fractionally higher in the front months. Again, there's a story of probably underlying support in Kansas City wheat. Is there not? Absolutely, and KC rallied a nickel over Chicago today, so we're 28 cents over uh, versus uh, 23 as we went into the weekend with prices flat. So I think the Chicago is an anchor on the market right now. That soft red, red story is just it's dwarfed with supply, and you're coming into a period where it tends to want to push price lower. Go back two years and look at where the price and the bottom. They come in these 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 delivery points. Are, are more often times than not the bottom for the shorter term. So I would look for markets to be weak this week, but then bounce next week. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago.